Hello and welcome to A Week in the News. I'm your host Chris Scott and I'm joined as always by Kate Proctor and Mike Kelly. Alright guys? Hello. And welcome to a five more years edition I suppose. Um, Kate, we'll start with you. We're a week removed now from the general election and the result. Did the Tories win the general election or did Labour lose it? I think you can say without doubt that the Conservatives won the election. Um, I don't know what happened. I don't know whether if you're in the North East you're just in such a a Labour bubble, um, but clearly, you know, it, when it came to polling day, the Conservatives, um, you know, stormed ahead. And I think that narrative that they have put in um, everything they've done really over the last five years is really stuck in people's minds. Um, it's, it's just little things, you know, that constant reminder of um, we inherited the deficit from Labour. Labour left us in this mess. We're the ones that are putting us back on track. We're getting the economy sorted. We're fixing it. I felt among social media and people on Facebook, they were sort of trotting out those lines verbatim. Mm. And so I think Conservatives won in that sense. Whatever message they've been trying to get across over the last five years, I think it truly stuck when it came to polling day. And say it often enough, then it becomes a truth. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, well, how bad is it for the North East and the Tories in power? As you said, we're in a bit of a Labour bubble, Kate. Um, but in the last Tory government, uh, the North East had 50,000 new jobs. So is it as bad as what the North East are trying to make out? Well, I, I don't think that, um, you know, I don't, th- it's difficult in our job because we speak to um, Labour le- mm. le- leadership quite a lot. So we hear it from their point of view. No, but plenty of people on the street are perfectly happy with this result. And like you say, it could be, could mean really big things. You need to make sure this northern powerhouse, though, that George Osborne keeps talking about, really extends to the northeast. And we're going to have some more detail later today on new devolution deals for cities as well. Mm, it's worth keeping an eye on, definitely. Uh, Mike, um, you were in the office with me on Thursday night when the exit poll results came in. Were you surprised? Mm. I wasn't actually in the office, funnily enough. I just left to get my train back to Darlington. I left at 5 to 10 <laughs> in high hopes. And I got back to Darlington by about quarter to 11 and I walked into my house and my partner had a face like thunder and I said, what's wrong with you? And she just pointed to the screen like some horror show was on. And I looked yeah. and there was the exit poll incredible surprise um, hindsight's a great thing um, so we've now been able to analyse it and say well actually it wasn't that big a surprise but at the time it was astonishing mm-hmm. if you actually pick through it I think the, the I've spoken to people afterwards and they said it was obvious that the Tories were going to win mainly because they focused their attack as, as Kate said on the economy and also it showed uh, that Cameron has proved himself to be a very effective Prime Minister in all the polls leading up to the election it showed that when it came to who was the best when it came to economics it was the Tories and who was the most who was the best uh, leader uh, it was always Cameron despite uh, Miliband putting in a great showing uh, he it was a it was a case of he's actually performing a lot better than we thought so we probably had low expectation from him yeah I think we've said it before on the podcast that my biggest concern in the debates in the whole um, run up to the election was that there seems to be a lot more focus on the economy than there was on people and that that annoyed me and I think what the result shows is that people still after 2008 don't trust Labour with the economy is that fair enough? I think they haven't been allowed to trust Labour with the economy because there's always this message that uh, the Conservatives inherited a mess from the Labour and it's all Labour's fault which it's it's facts don't bear that out. The mm-hmm. reason why the economy was in the mess was because of deregulation. The banks were allowed to run amok. And, and nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. It's, it's, still, it's still the same system in place, yet the people who were paying for it are the people who suffered 
once the economic recession started. Uh, the, the so-called benefits cheats, uh, the public sector, they are, they are seen as the causes of it, yet they are the victims of it, just like we are. So if Labour wants to progress from here, it has to get that change the narrative uh, and actually defend the people it's supposed to. Um, this is interesting because a lot of talk since the general election has been where do Labour go from here. A lot of people saying Ed Miliband, probably the most left Labour leader since maybe Foot. Um, do they reclaim the centre ground? Tony Blair wrote in the Observer that he thinks they should go back to the centre. Um, because they're being too left. It strikes me as odd, Kate, that if you look at England, they've been accused of being too left for the English. But if you look at Scotland, they've been accused of being too right for the Scottish. Surely you can't be both things at once. No, I don't think you can, and I think it's going to be an extremely difficult, actually quite pivotal time for the Labour Party. They're going to have to crystallise what they mean and what they stand for, and it could be a sort of like a Tony Blair-style shift that sets out the Labour discourse for the next sort of 20 years. Um, but, yeah, this summer it's going to be formed, really, mm. and I expect it will be a drift to the centre. Mm. I mean, Ed, Ed, Ed Miliband didn't work. And actually, I don't think that, you know, I don't think his policies were overly left. I don't... No, I don't it think was, so. Yeah. It was yeah. personality on Ed, I think. Yeah, if, if not, I mean, there's arguments that they're actually too right-wing the policies because you see the person who's now being ordained as the next leader, although we also see Chuck Amuno, was, was taught... When he talks about benefits and austerity cuts, it's not... There's, there's probably a, a cigarette paper's width between him and what the Conservatives are talking about. So perhaps they're looking at it at the wrong... Coming from, at it from the wrong direction. I think it adds, uh, it adds more fuel to the fire that Labour are the party of Tory light. They're not. They're not the progressive party, and I, I do wonder whether does Labour hinder left progressive politics in this country. I can't believe you'd say they're the party of Tory light. <laughs> it just seems to have turned the whole. Like if you if that's what it appears to be. I, th- I think so, and I think if you look, I think uh, let me justify that a little bit. Um, if you think of austerity and. Um, the campaign that they did in Scotland that there was very, there was very little that I think you could choose between. I think if I think if you polled a lot of Labour voters across the UK, a lot of them would say they're the only viable left wing party, so they had to vote for them very tactically to try and keep the Tories out because they couldn't vote Green because they didn't have a chance of winning. So I, I do wonder sometimes whether Labour hinders left progressive politics. I just wonder whether there's the appetite for that anymore and I think that's possibly one of the well, most significant things. The SNP probably showed that in Scotland, obviously. OK, so in England I don't okay. think it's there anymore. And obviously it all just depends on how well these parties get out there and represent what people feel. Or It's almost like unearthing what's beneath people and how communities and societies want to exist. But um, I think, you know, what is an English voter is a really, really conflicted thing at the moment. Also, how you frame the argument is sometimes I sort of react against sort of uh, terms like left and right I think mainly obviously it's yeah about Tony fair. Blair wasn't yeah. left like no. it's, it w- we've been not been talking mm. about left and right yeah. so um, strictly for a long time it's about fairness really that's what the message they should be getting across I mean a lot of what Miliband was saying was good about making uh, society less unequal and, and addressing the iniquities of that but the message didn't get across because his way of expressing that was to bash big business mm. or bash not bash big business but business in general which caused some concern that all business is bad it's not 
uh, that's one of the things that he was tarred with, the fact they were anti-business and anti-aspiration. I think they need to look at how their arguments are, are framed and perhaps put them a bit better. There is, there is potential in the Labour Party to do that, mm-hmm. but it's whether they can realise the potential after the next leader is chosen. I think aspiration is an interesting one because I think... I think that's what Tony Blair wanted to point out, that Labour should be the party of aspiration as well because uh, for Labour to come out and campaign on zero-hour contracts and minimum wage and stuff like that, um, a lot of people don't see themselves in the job that they're doing right there and then that's getting the minimum wage or they're on a zero-hour contract. They don't see them doing that for the next five, ten years. They're thinking, well, I'm going to be richer in five, ten years. So, you know, that's not a chief concern possibly. Well, that's the way you should frame the argument. The the that's not so much the aspiration what people can achieve, it's what they want to be achieved for the country. So mm. you start as a starting point, say, we don't think... I mean, some zero-hour contracts are beneficial to the people who have them, but it's only a small amount of them. Say, yes, we should make sure all zero-contracts are fair. We should address the iniquities at the bottom, people who aren't paid or haven't got job security. And then you say, well, once you've got this established, society can progress. Why is it good for society that people have job security? Um, the reasons for that is to boost the economy. People get paid more, put more money into the economy, the country benefits. We uh, more, Less is paid out in benefits to people who claim tax credits. You should frame it like that to see how putting that right can benefit the rest of us. Certainly. Um, so, disaster for Labour. That's without a shadow <laughs> of a doubt. Yeah, they will um, admit that. Yes. Uh, if it's a disaster for Labour, what is it for the Liberal Democrats, Kate? <laughs> Well, um, yeah, that was quite incredible Mm. and, again, unforeseen because, Mm. I mean, I, for one, thought they'd maybe go down to 20 seats. I didn't think it would be all the way down to eight. Um, What I think about the Lib Dems is that sort of locally and where they've got council seats, they they have a real um, history of really embedding themselves, um, holding their council seats and actually being really good local councillors. So I can see that that will build up again. I find it just astonishing, though, that people seem to have punished the Lib Dems for the coalition in the way that they have and that the vote has gone against them. So so if you just look for, like in Scotland, Danny Alexander losing his seat for the, for the Lib Dems, I really felt that he had been put forward as the face of, of austerity cuts and the face of George Osborne's um, you know, financial kind of strategy, and yet he's the one that loses his seat. Mm-hmm. And I felt that was played out across the country, and I, um, I thought that was, uh, that was extremely harsh um, from, from people who were voting in those Lib Dem marginal seats. Mm-hmm. It was a very canny game played by the Conservatives, showing them to be the more experienced party, let's face it. Like, like Kate said, Danny Alexander was put forward as the, pace, the, the face of the guy who did all the austerity cuts, George Osborne, was very much in the background. Yeah, used and abused. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so the Conservatives said we could have achieved more if it wasn't for the Lib Dems holding us back. And the Lib Dems, they were blamed for the, the more regressive Tory policies that were brought into place. The Conservatives played a blinder in the election. Well, uh, it, it, certainly I, show, it certainly shows... Oh, it, it's interesting, um, now the Liberal Democrats are out of government, that we're going to see the, the true Tory party, I suppose. They've got no human shield to hide behind when, they, when they're introducing policy, um, policies. David Cameron can't point to Nick Clegg and say, hey, it's nothing to do with me. You know, we've got a yeah. barter here. Um, so what can we expect from the real Tory government? More of the same, but worse. I mean, two things. One is, uh, yes, they haven't got the Lib Dems to rein them in. Secondly, uh, David Cameron, he's going to resign after this parliament so he can do what he likes. 
And thirdly, we've got a, a very divisive Labour leadership contest coming up. Yeah, I can't believe it's going to take till September. That, I just think that's so like far too long. That's going to be a really big problem, as has been pointed out. One is the uncertainty will just drag on. Secondly, the Conservatives are talking about hitting the ground running yeah. with all the policies. They need yeah. someone in place to fight against that or to put the opposition voice. But it looks like for yeah, like till September, the Labour Party isn't going to have a leader. So well, who's got, who's going to organise any uh, any fight against it? Well, who 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 will be leading the Labour Party until until September? Harriet then? Harman. She's going to step up from deputy leader until someone's elected. Well, no, she will make. She'll just remain as deputy leader. Okay. So she'll. Um, but she's not interested in being leader. No. And she'll no. be fine. But it's just you know it's that organization thing like you say and mm. and as you know conservatives are going to use this summer as best they can you know around recess but they're going to try and storm things through i'd imagine mm. um and yeah and, and not just that i think this is going to be such an interesting time because i do want to bring up the lib dems again and um, they've got their leadership contest as well um and i know tim farron has said he's in the running he's he's popular and but when you've only got eight <laughs> how much of a voice are they going to have I mean, you wouldn't. You don't really hear the DUP if they got eight or twelve. I can't. I think they I think might have eight. In, it's, it's, I think it's in double figures. I can't remember mm. off the top of my head. But uh, well, how often do you hear of them? Yeah. You know, when you go down to below ten, surely mm. that's you. Well, kind of finished. Yeah, in some <laughs> context, they, they're not particularly bothered about Westminster politics, it seems. Sometimes yeah. they're more no, concerned with Northern Ireland. But yeah, Lib Dems have got a problem, a credibility problem. I think they were hoping to hold the balance of power after the election, but no And way. you know, some of them have great experience, and it's something that I actually think could be really, could really strengthen Labour. I think it's interesting, isn't it? You know, we're talking about this, and obviously of the two main parties in, in Parliament in Westminster, the Labour Party having a bit of an identity crisis and we're waiting to find out what the identity of the Tory government actually looks like so it's going to be interesting to see how it, how it unfolds um, with Labour then if we're talking about the, going back onto the, the leadership race mm. um, who do we think is the, like the favourites now? It's difficult to say really I mean some interesting polls have come out after the election for example we were talking about Labour should reconnect with aspirational politics but polls show that its middle class support actually held up during the election, the so-called mm. aspirational class. It was his working class vote that went. Uh, they were plummeted. Yeah, uh, in which case mm. I think Andy Burnham could be strong mm. for that. Yeah. And then I, I think Andy Bur Burnham and Chuka Amuna mm. stand out for me. Um, I think their mm. polls apart, though. Yeah, I, yeah. I have my doubts about Chuka Amuna. He just... It, there was, perhaps it's because he sat on the couch last Sunday next to Lord Mandelson, who seemed to anoint him the next leader. It makes mm. me deeply suspicious. Andy Burnham seems the best one. But uh, is Andy mm. Burnham too much of, of, it, of, of the Miliband yeah. era? Of it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, is he tarnished by that? What about Yvette Cooper? Is she tarnished by being the wife of <laughs> Ed Balls? Yes, who's linked she to is. Gordon <laughs> Brown, who's linked to Tony Blair. Yeah. I don't know. Liz Kendall. I don't know much about her, to be honest with you. So... Um, what chance has she got? Um, not uh, she hasn't been in Parliament long, but a lot of people say a lot of good things about her. She comes yeah. across well in the media. Yep, she's um, liked within the party. She's quite good at falling out with people, apparently, um, <laughs> but without making enemies of them at the same time. It's quite a good strategy. Yeah, it's a good thing that she she knows her own mind and she doesn't she doesn't try to foster good relations with everyone. She stands up for herself. It's always a good sign. As for who would be the best leader. It's difficult to say. Uh, Andy Burnham is the one who seems, seems to link most of the disparate parts of the party. Mm -hmm. Chuck Amuna 
I'm not sure about him at all. I just something about him that I just I don't quite warm to. It'll be very interesting to see how the uh, contest will progress. It's two different types of politics, isn't it? Mm. If you're looking at the, it's, the, the it's two leaders, it's such a shame though that it can't seem to be one more kind of unifying mm. force. He seems to be. You either have to go because the whole point is now they've got to try and fuse their working class and middle class supports. Yeah, and. I still can't see amongst those that group of one person that represents that, really. Mm. It was interesting, Ian, Ra- Ian Lavery, our local MP, yeah. he, well, he didn't have his hat, wasn't going to throw his hat in his ring. He said to me, he said that actually people approached him, he said he had quite a lot of support from the trade union movement, obviously as a former president of the NUM, and he said also a lot of MPs had said they would back him if he was to stand, but he said that he'd never said yes, he'd never said no, he was approached, but he's now withdrawn any potential candidacy, and he's come out and backed Andy Burnham. Right. So mm. that's interesting. Um, just going on, to, you, you mentioned the trade unions then, Mike. If Labour do go back to the centre, or even push right of centre, is there any threat of the trade unions leaving Labour, or withdrawing their support? And shift it to who? That's the question. Form their own party, possibly. Mm. Who knows? That's what this, this is the thing. Well, does, some, it, does it represent their interests? Have, I mean, mm. RMT have, were backing, um, in not so many words, but I think they were backing the Greens, weren't they? Yes, the Greens, and then there was the Trade Union and Socialist Coalition, which mm-hmm. sunk without trace. Yeah. But I think they're natural bedfellows with Labour. They will have fallouts with the Labour they have done in the past, they will do in the future, but I think they'll stick with Labour. They'll have some influence mm-hmm. within. Of course, they will because they helped form the party in well, the first place. But they won't have as much influence as they would have done before the 2014 reforms, would they, for the Labour leadership? I don't think. I think they've got to register as Labour supporters now rather than just getting an automatic vote, yeah. haven't they? One person, one vote. Yeah. yeah. Well, ironically, introduced by Ed Miliband after he got the, the votes of the. Even though he got help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But he, but he saw that one coming. He, he tried to do that to escape the red Ed label, but that didn't work. That didn't work. <laughs> so um, I think uh, Kate, you were telling me that was it. Nick Forbes described the northeast as a red blob in the sea of blue. Was it? <laughs> I can't remember whether that was oh. me or whether that was him <laughs> when we had a chat. But that was the nature of the conversation. Was there's the risk of of the northeast being cast politically adrift because it is now such a small sort of red island surrounded by a sea of blue conservative seats. Um, so I think what's essential for the North East now is, um, is devolution, city, city-based devolution, and that's where you'll get your strength. All of the core cities are Labour, and we'll hear in a minute sort of what George Osborne is offering in more detail, but I think in terms of power and rebuilding, I think that's going to be, that's going to be key um, for the North East, and it's got... We've got to make sure that um, I think, in really simple terms, that the northeast tries to get on as well as it possibly can with this government. Otherwise, it's going to suffer massively. We're, we're absolutely out on a limb here. <laughs> yeah, there's two ways it could go. One, <clears throat> the northeast could be totally ignored by the Conservative Party. But however, this week, I mean, I'm not quite sure how they work it out. But the the northeast is supposed to be the fastest growing economy in the country. And unemployment has fallen to 7.5%. That's a that's a, a massive fall from this time last year. Granted, it's the highest in the country. So perhaps the Conservatives might see the North East as a way of proving they have uh, considerations for the rest of the country. Say, despite it being Labour, we'll do what we can for Labour up in the sorry, do what we can for the North East. I mean, after all, James Wharton is the golden boy up here now, <laughs> out in Stockton South. So. 
Well, that was the Prime Minister's mm-hmm. first visit, wasn't mm-hmm. it? It, it was. came up, came up to Stockton South, and I think he's has he been put in charge of the Northern Powerhouse. Apparently so. Apparently so. I'm so. not really sure what that means at the moment, but we'll see. It's um, a good phrase. It's a good phrase. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of the Northern Powerhouse, um, we I remember speaking after the budget, and we said about um, the devolution um, that Manchester enjoys, and we said, well, if the North East wants to probably enjoy the same, we possibly might need a mayor. Is that still the case? Um, well, I think that's what's going. That's definitely what's going to be put out mm. there. That Newcastle needs to accept the Metro Mayor model mm. to move forwards with its devolution deal. Um, from what I'm hearing, uh, Newcastle is not in favour of that. Mm. So, I mean, that's the battle, and then we'll just have to see how that plays out. Because if that's the bargaining point, <sighs> then New- Newcastle got to decide whether to be in or out. I guess the the reticence about the mayor. Is mm. is understandably in the northeast. I mean, who's that going to be? We've already mm. we've got so many layers. We've got the combined authority. We've got the LEP. Could it be someone from business? Well, I feel like we've almost half been having these debates already. But to actually have the government say you've got to choose a mayor, that's going to be really difficult. Yeah, political expediency might mean they'll have to bite the bullet and do it. Um, otherwise, it look much like probably mixing my metaphors here, but cutting off your nose to spite your face. Just if you want to get involved, you got to you got to take part. But it will be it's problematic to say the least how they will actually go about that. But like I say, time will tell. So, what's the argument against then? Just just too many layers of government. Oh I f- well, I guess from a Labour perspective, the worry of the mayor is that it's someone who isn't Labour. So you end up with a structure where you're actually weakened in power because you're having to fight against someone who's in a different political party. They could be an independent businessman, they could be an independent businesswoman, they could be um, conservative, you could, they could be just a personality in the North East that people really love. It could be Antor Deck, it could be like <laughs> anyone. <laughs> um, well, that'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah, can, they share, can they share the job? Is that impossible? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, they can, they can do anything. That's, well, that's well, they're coming me. in tomorrow, so that we'll ask them. They yeah. are. They're coming into the Chronicle offices tomorrow. Yeah, we'll ask them about their political policy. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, speak- yeah, too many layers for me. That's yeah. my point of view. Uh, speaking of uh, weakening Labour power in the northeast, uh, Mike, we've been talking about this before. Is um, a bit of scaremongering from the left. I feel um, that people are talking about um, what it means when the Tories want to redraw the constituency boundaries. Mm. Can you just give us a little bit of background on that. Well, as part of the manifesto, they wanted to do it in the last parliament, but they didn't because the Lib Dems blocked it because it was so beneficial to the Conservatives. They wanted to redraw the boundaries, reduce the amount of MPs to 650 to 600, which uh, independent analyzers have said would probably lead to about a 40 seat swing to the Conservatives. So you can see why they're keen to do that. Uh, there's some I don't know if they're hyperbolic reports saying if they actually get through with that, the Conservatives will never be voted out of Parliament because it would just uh, concentrate so much power within their hands. So it'll be interesting to see how that actually shapes up. They could never be voted out. That's the theory. <laughs> of, course, of course they can, of course, if, they, if they're particularly bad policies. But the, the way, after winning uh, the majority at the last election, when no one predicted it, with yeah. 650 constituencies, that if they cut it down to 600 and the new shake-up even more favours them, you can see why people might jump to that conclusion. So mm. it'd be interesting for Labour to see how that develops. It's scary. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, OK, well... We'll finish. We'll finish with this. Um, there's a lot of talk, as you said, Kate, about rushing through a load of policies in the next hundred days before, you know, Labour pick their next leadership. Do we know what type of policies they're going to try and rush through? Well, 
Mm. We'll make some headway with Europe, um, the referendum. I know the city's bill, the devolution, that, mm. that's on the agenda as well. Mm. Um, the most concerning one is the big question about how they're going to achieve their £12 billion cuts, only £2 billion which were identified before the election. Now they've actually got to come up with the figures to follow that through. I mean, there was talk that they'd only came up with that figure so expecting a coalition probably with the Lib Dems again, so the Lib Dems to hold them back on it. But now they haven't got the Lib Dems to stop them, so they've got Ian Duncan Smith back in the DWP. He's going to follow it through. Um, so that's going to be the biggest concern of the Queen's speech, even more so than the EU referendum. I think it's how these cuts are going to, where they're going to come from, how quickly they're going to come about and who's going to suffer. Free schools as well as a pledge, which probably, in terms of getting something through quickly, wouldn't be too difficult to roll out, the expansion of the free school model. Yeah, but like we said before, this is David Cameron's last term as Prime Minister. He wants to be seen as a go-getting Prime Minister. Nothing to stop him. And waiting in the wings is George Osborne, probably giving a prod and a poke to get all this stuff done. So uh, we expect a lot of activity. I I think, for me, like what what this election has, has showed is... Is um, I, I feel like we've had a, a, just in the last ten years and such a massive shift in, like I said at the start, in what is an English voter, mm. what is an English person's political views, um, and I feel that you know obviously the Conservatives spoke to all of those people, um, and that was the party that people wanted. And I think living in the northeast of England, you do feel separate from that. I don't think you it's the north. It I, think, I don't think it's the northeast. I think it's the north. Well, it's the north of England, really, isn't it? I, yeah. I think if you look at the the map of the seats, it's yellow at the top for SNP in Scotland. Then it's it's red from the from the border all the way down to just past Manchester, and then from then on, it's like a, like a blue. Yeah. So there is a real big north south divide at the moment. I think. Yeah. I'm just surprised, having worked here for the last three and a half years, and you write so much about austerity and how the cuts are affecting people, to see that actually elsewhere in the country, that's actually not of similar concern I mm. found that really illuminating and I felt as if I don't quite understand what the rest of Britain is thinking I think when it comes down to where people uh, vote for two reasons one for themselves mainly and two for the good of the country I think the latter is probably a small percentage of it so a lot of people were just voting for themselves they thought mm. you better devil you know and if, actually, if you look at the statistics it's a bugbear of mine that uh, while we say the people were listening probably the sorry the people who supporting the Conservatives you actually break it down um, there's a 46 million people who are eligible to vote only a quarter of them voted for the Conservatives yet they have a majority in Parliament it's a frighteningly small figure for which was afforded them to wield so much power so uh, the problem is that, that was UKIP's argument wasn't it that mm. they had something mm. four, 4 million votes or was it or something they had 4 million votes and about 14% of, or 13 or 14% of the votes and they got yeah. one seat compared to the same amount of figure for the SNP and they've got 56 mm. well the, it's uh, slightly different well the UKIP yeah. said they had more votes than the SNP and the Queens combined yeah and the SNP of course got 56 seats yeah. the Queen, 57 seats and they've got one not Nigel Farage sadly Right. Well, we'll know more this time next week, obviously, after George yeah, Osborne. Yeah, I think we'll have a few more policy announcements. Yeah, so we can kind of see how the new government and the, and the Labour leadership race is shaping up. So uh, make sure to join us then. Thanks very much.